Hello there, you're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. Our mission is to discuss the seventh Mission Impossible film, Dead Reckoning Part 1, with two special guests. Kirk Simpson, do you accept? I do. Lillian Snyder, do you accept? Yes. (laughs) This podcast episode will now self-destruct. jump into things getting over the news talking about the box office breakdown for july 14th to the 16th and mission possible dead reckoning part one of course came in first place with 54 million in its opening following that was sound of freedom with 27 million that's a 38 percent increase but this is definitely the biggest sleeper hit of the of the summer came out of nowhere but However, as you're about to point out, yeah, it does have some asterisks with it. There's they have a the pay it forward system where individuals can buy movie tickets for other people so that other people can see it. But if nobody claims those tickets and goes and sees it, the movie ticket was already still purchased. I don't know if that's how it works. I think you have to sign up for it and then they would give you like a specific nope. ticket. You, you give them the money and they have the money. And so the ticket is purchased, and then you sign up for it, and you can get a ticket through that system, but they still have the money. Right. Well, they they do get the money, but they don't necessarily purchase the ticket for it. Because what they have now, again, the donations for it has been crazy. It's been like a post-crowdfunding campaign, basically, for the movie. So their budget has already been paid for through that alone. Like They made $140 million off of that. But obviously, the box office gross is not 140 million. So it's not like every all the money that they got from those donations and the pay it forward campaign. They're not spending all of that on those tickets. But we just don't know how much. But is can they claim that money tickets. if they don't actually use it on tickets, like they say? So wouldn't they just buy the tickets and have empty seats? No, because they say as well. They say this may not go towards ticket prices. This may be used for other expenses or for funding future projects so people are donating to it in order to do the like pay it forward like oh buying a ticket so someone else can see it for free but they do also say like yeah we may use in case there's like a whole bunch of extra money which is what they're getting because tons of people donated to it they'll use it to fund future projects or utilize it for other expenses so again right now we don't know what the exact numbers are of like how much is the pay it forward contributing to the box office gross. But from what I have seen and heard, it's definitely, I mean, there are packed theaters of older folks going nonstop. I mean, you can see the daily numbers too. So it's definitely a hit for sure. A genuine one. But, it's not but just like empty seats. Wouldn't they use that money anyway and buy empty seats just to increase the box office numbers to, to make it look like it's performing better than it is. I mean, a 38% increase is something else. I mean, it is. But again, I go we in. You cannot confirm nor deny that they're not buying seats and just putting nobody in them. 
cannot confirm nor deny because they would be. I mean, they would be getting the money anyway. And in that case, it just looks like they have better numbers than they do. That's true, but it would be a, a smart idea. But based on what I have heard, those theaters are packed. <laughs> like people are going out in droves. Well, there yeah. are like claims on like TikTok and stuff about like conspiracy theorists who like say the theater was almost bought out and then they go in the theater and there's nobody in there. And then they say like the the people don't want you to see it because they're trying to buy out the theater. What if it's just the movie buying the theater themselves? The studio doing that? Yeah. Yeah, but again, could be. I mean, uh, hey, maybe we're getting into conspiracy theories. That does seem uh, more like a, well. a conspiracy theory thing of like, I cannot say the same thing with not, Disney. I'm just saying that seems more likely than the the child traffickers buying the tickets so you can't see the child trafficking <laughs> movie. Yeah, that would be a bit odd. But either way, we will continue to talk about that film since it is going to be, again, one of the biggest hits of the summer and will outgrow some of the big blockbusters from this summer. So that's crazy. No one would have thought that. After that, Insidious, The Red Door with 13 million in its second weekend. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny with 12.2 million. Elemental with 9 million, bringing its domestic to 125 million and its worldwide past 300 million. So that, after having a very rocky start, is having a nice rebound for the summer. Yeah. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse with 6 million. Transformers Rise of Beasts, 3.4 million. No Hard Feelings, 3.2 million. Joyride, 2.6. And The Little Mermaid, 2.3 million. In its eighth weekend, its now domestic total is at 293 million. Ryan, is that satisfactory? It is. Definitely not as huge as I would have hoped for a Renaissance live action adaptation, but it definitely held its own. So I'm satisfied. But now let's talk about the predictions for this upcoming weekend, July 21st to 23rd. Barbenheimer, it is here. It has finally arrived, and it is going to be an insane, absurd weekend. Dylan. Yes. You have an announcement for us. I do have an announcement. For our 2023 box office draft, I will be selecting Oppenheimer as a replacement for one of my movies. Ryan, can you guess which movie it is? I can't. I'm going to just let you take it away. I don't know what your uh, your strat here is. I am going to be dropping Aquaman 2 in favor of Oppenheimer. Because The Flash bombed so goddamn hard. There's no shot. I feel like Oppenheimer will most certainly make more money than... Because even Tenet, even Tenet, when it came out at COVID and then bombed on its own right, because it did so, so bad, and it was not a very good movie, still made more money than The Flash, mm-hmm. which is insane. So I'm I'm betting on Christopher Nolan. I think more people are more hyped to see Oppenheimer than Tenet. I think the Barbenheimer uh, double feature thing is going to take it by storm, and people will go see it because of that. So I am in favor of Oppenheimer not only having a good opening weekend, but having longer legs than a superhero movie would, like Aquaman too. I think it will carry on through the rest of the year and make good, good money. Interesting. And how much money would you say if you had to put an estimate now? I'm banking on at least 600. I'm hoping it gets to 600. I think it can do it. All right. Kirk, 
What are your thoughts? I think I think it's a good strategy, not just because Aquaman 2 might not even come out this year, just based on everything going on with the the strike. Studios are looking at pushing things back. Um, but I think the one thing that Oppenheimer has going for it that unfortunately Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning will not have going forward is those large format screens. And so if you have those, like one ticket there is worth like two tickets in a regular theater. So... I think that helps your numbers. Yeah, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, Mission Impossible is on my draft, and it's definitely getting uh, its lunch eaten by both Sound of Freedom and then the big Barbenheimer. So it's going to suck a lot of air away from it. And then, of course, actual, like, those premium screenings. But I'm hoping the rest of the summer, I mean, Barbenheimer is sort of the big finale for the summer releases. There's some things like Haunted Mansion, but concerns of the major major releases were done so i'm hoping for the rest of the summer throughout august because of its incredible word of mouth mission possible will have very strong legs and be able to get to a solid number that's you know within range for the other mission possible films so it won't you know surpass fallout i don't think but it should still end up hopefully around that number i will say I was wondering what which you were going to drop, Dylan, whether it be Indie or Aquaman. I was debating. And despite how successful Barbie and Oppenheimer are going to be, I think this solidifies that I will be safe. Based on as long as MI so. is able to coast to a solid 650 million worldwide. And then we'll have to see about Dune, whether or not that gets pushed back. Because I did hear with the strike, they might try and space out their slate so that they have things to release in 2024 but either way i have a very obvious backup for that if that gets pushed and i think both of those films are going to be able to get at least 400 million and then that would be all i really need to secure it so i'm gunning for you i'm coming for you you have a <laughs> Mario big mountain can't save you now you have a big mountain to climb and it's located in mushroom kingdom and <laughs> it is insurmountable i think so yeah, despite all the celebrations that'll go on in Barbie Land and all that, we'll be, uh, I think, coming out on top. But yeah, so you're solidified now with Ant-Man, Indiana Jones, Barbie, Oppenheimer, and what was your other one? Uh, Fast X. Fast X, yes. Which did well for you. It'll be like in your top three grocers, for sure. Probably yeah. your number two. But yeah, interesting times for the... Uh, the box office. What do you guys think Barbie is going to get up to? It's worldwide total. I mean, it's going to be huge. It has a crazy range on it coming into the weekend. Anything from like a hundred million to like over 200. Like it's the widest range I've ever seen on track and going into a movie. I think, I don't know. I think easily over 150. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, in terms of worldwide, though, what do you think? Will this get a billion? Will they oh, have long term? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, one billion, hundred percent worldwide, one billion, one billion. The the only thing that I think might prevent it from getting there is just I don't know how strong Barbie is overseas in certain places. So if it's like domestically again, it's going to be a monster. And it's going to do huge worldwide, like certainly 800 million is locked at this point. But 
we'll be able to get past a billion. I'm not sure. It really depends on. I think Harvey's going to be the top gun maverick of this year. I think we're just going to see really long legs. I think you're right. And you called your shot in the the draft. You're like, I think this one could do it. And you know what? It did. However, it won't get 1.5 billion. Was Was this even on your radar, Ryan? Was Barbie even on your radar, man? <laughs> it was there. I mean, I thought it'd do well. I thought it would get 500 million worldwide, but I didn't expect it to do so huge. But yeah, Crazy. I don't think it'll be able to match Top Gun numbers. And then ultimately, I still don't think even if it gets a billion, it won't be able to to save you. But it definitely makes things much more interesting now. There's definitely, you're in the running yet again. So we will see. We'll see how it shakes out, but definitely we'll do a big deep dive into the box office next week. It'll be extremely fun to talk about that. What will be one of the biggest weekends at the box office ever. Like that's what it could end up being from the Barbenheimer combo. And then all these other holdovers like mission possible and sound of freedom and Indy and all that. So very exciting times. Yeah. The theaters are popping off right now. Like it was packed yesterday. It was crazy. Absolutely. All right. Now let us discuss Mission Possible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Woo! Oh, yeah. We have Kirk back to discuss it. A super fan. And Mm -hmm. we were able to have him on to talk about the first three films in the franchise last week. So go listen to that episode if you haven't already. But now we have Lillian Snyder on the show. So you are also a major Mission Possible fan. I love Mission Impossible, and I know for all of the reasons that it's silly and, you know, it's Tom Cruise and isn't Tom Cruise silly, but he's just so cool and so charismatic, and I cannot help but love him. Yeah. So what was your, like, first time coming into this franchise? Like, do you remember the first yeah, what's Impossible your you saw? Exactly, yeah. Your journey to um, End Reckoning. My mom loved Top Gun. And so when Mission Impossible start coming out, she also loved those. So they were like background movies in my house all the time. Um, and so once I got old enough to actually watch them and focus on what was happening, I was like, Mom, these are really cool. And I remember I like asked her for like the Mission Impossible box set for Christmas one year. And so I have the five movie collection um, because I think the Ghost Protocol was the first one I saw in theaters. And I remember like the, the him climbing the tower and that being like so tense in like a big theater setting. Um, and so after that one and Rogue Nation came out, I was like, mom, mom, please, can I have this, this fancy, the fancy box set and I don't know why I did it then because like there was no like more movies were for certain planned and it was not expected to be the end so I don't know why I wanted it so bad then because now I have two that I'm missing and we'll have to get individual copies of um but yeah uh you know Tom Cruise Mission Impossible they've been a staple in my household for a while and you know every movie that comes out is is bigger and better and more fun all right awesome so now with the seventh entry 
into this almost 30-year franchise now of Tom Cruise portraying super spy Ethan Hunt. For this first parter of two parts, what are your guys' initial impressions? We'll do that, just get your your spoiler-free thoughts, and then we'll move into an in-depth, spoilery discussion of all things Dead Reckoning. So, Kirk, let's start with you. Yeah, spoiler-free. Uh, this was the most uh, hyped I've ever been walking out of a movie theater. Just the most like, man, I love movies. Until I got to see Barbie and Oppenheimer back to back, and that kind of that you know their combined powers get pretty close, but mm-hmm. there's nothing there's nothing like a good Mission Impossible movie, and this is one of the best. And I just had such a great time with it. I agree. This is definitely. I'm like still trying to settle in to decide if this is my new favorite because of the spectacle of seeing mm-hmm. it in theaters and then seeing it in IMAX. So I'm like, I'm still trying to calm myself down from that high to be able to like genuinely place it in a series of my favorites. But yeah, I saw it uh, with Dylan and there there weren't like a bunch of people in our theater, but it was like, you know, a medium sized group. And um, I just like could not help from like clapping at, at like big parts or like being like, whoa. And um at the end when the credits started rolling, I was like, I am I am screaming, I am clapping. And the people around me like started joining in too, which I think was nice to to just have such a like, oh, this was so good. And I had such a fun time. And this was mm-hmm. like, the most fun. embarrassing thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are guys, stop, stop. It was a theater of like eight of us. <laughs> really? I think there were more people than that. I don't know. Because I saw it's it's just so fucking cool. It is just everything they do is just they just know how to make an action movie. They know how to raise the stakes. They know how to raise the stakes again. They know how to raise the stakes again and then just make it harder and harder, make it more and more of an impossible mission. You keep thinking you watch one movie and you're like, how can how can the mission become more impossible? And then they, (laughs) they just keep ramping it up and up and up. And it's just crazy. So cool. Yeah, the tension in this one specifically was very, very well done. And even on like the second watch, I was still like, like mm-hmm. I did not realize I was holding my breath until like it comes to a calm and, and I was like, oh, I'm like, I need to to relax. Yeah, and I knew, it was, like I, the last, I knew it was yeah, bad. Like the last 20 minutes, especially. Yes. I, saw, I saw it with my girlfriend and she was fully like sunken down in her seat, running her hands through her hair. The most tense I've ever seen a person yeah. watching a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. And the set pieces were just so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well designed. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Did you see it? I know Kirk, you've seen it twice now, right? I've seen it twice. I saw it and it was sold out theaters both times. I saw it once in IMAX and I saw it once in Dolby and it was Dolby. a great experience. Yeah. Dolby would have been cool. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it in IMAX, and then Dylan and Lily have both seen it twice as well. One in normal, and then one in IMAX, right? God, could you imagine Oppenheimer and Dolby? Oh, my God. <laughs> that would be a lot. That would be intense, for yeah. sure. But yeah. All right, so next weekend, we're all seeing Mission Impossible in 4DX, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> I think that'd be so fun. I'll do it. I mean, yeah, go for it. You got to. I want my seat to shake as Tom Cruise sprints across Venice. <laughs> Why is shaking you right now? He's just running. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a little violent it ever shakes. 
God, can you imagine I, the car chase in 40x every time that would be a lot. every time Haley atwell slams into something the, the, the uh. seat slams into something <laughs> but yeah i think i agree with all we all are saying the action in this franchise i mean they always do their best to one up it to ground it in a practicality so they it's much more visceral. You absolutely feel it as you're sitting there in the theater. So, yeah, it's just unmatched when it comes to that. And then I agree. There's something about like Tom Cruise and his presence, and again his like unending dedication to just trying to get himself killed doing these stunts, mm-hmm. um, which is yeah always raising the bar. And then the team that they sort of form now, like they settled into finally having a pretty consistent crew that comes back. I very much enjoy that team, so it's nice getting to see them, and then they're definitely leaning into like friendship as being the core theme here. So they're Fast and Furious has family. This one, they're just yeah. more clear about like, oh, we're friends, but you know, we'll die for each other. Um, Tom Cruise is like, look, I'll do whatever I can to put your life over my own. So yeah, I think in those elements, it's great. I have issues with parts of it. Certain things they do with the characters, certain things they do with the villain and the overall plotting. Some things were just not adding up. So as we talk through it, maybe y'all can shed some light on some of what was going on there. But yeah. overall, I mean, yeah, it's a blast to watch. So yeah, this is still not spoilery, but I think one of the things that my all of my <clears throat> excitement for the movie has a bit of an asterisk on it, which is that this is part one. And if part mm-hmm. two comes out and doesn't land the plane as well as it should, then I think uh, then I'll have some more issues because there, there there are definitely plot holes or just things that are not as well developed as they should be. That in my mind, I'm punting to part two. Ethan punting. Ethan punting <laughs> to part two. And if they don't go back and fill those in, I think it will diminish my love for this one at least a little bit. Gotcha. Yeah, it's interesting. We've had a lot of part ones lately. And this one is, it was like two hours and 40 minutes or something like that, right? Yeah. I think it was the longest. Yeah. It'll be a long double feature to watch both parts. Absolutely. Totally worth it. Yeah. Totally worth it. It's so funny to to me that they made this a part one because I feel like, like, okay, yes, the, the main villain doesn't get entirely wrapped up, but they didn't do that in the last two either and those didn't like those got their own names so i don't yeah. know why i mean they can they at least they at least catch solomon lane at the end of of uh rogue nation yeah like they hypothetically rogue nation is its own contained story like it is wrapped up and then fallout yeah. they just bring him back whereas in this one they have not caught the entity it's still out there it is yeah. part one of a two-part story and so is gabriel does that make sense did I mansplain that? Yeah, one? but <laughs> we're getting into spoiler territory now, so I'll I will hold my my piece. Yes. Uh-huh. Then let's uh <laughs> let's dive right into it. So if you have not seen this, do yourself a favor, go out and catch it. Unfortunately, you can't do it in the premium formats anymore, I don't think, but you can still go and watch it on the big screen. Thanks, Oppie. As it should uh-huh. be seen. But let's uh let's go full spoilers now. So what do y'all wanna point out what are some major moments in this film major set pieces 
Well, I'm curious what are, what are your what are your questions? What are the what are some of the things that didn't that didn't quite add up? All right, let's dive right into that then. So, with the AI entity, mm -hmm. okay, timely. So the source code is on that submarine. Correct. Yes. So I just want to know who were the people that discovered the Russian bodies floating at the top after they bonked their heads. They were just found, found the keys, knew what those keys were for, but also didn't know to they don't also know what the, keys the submarine are for. they came for. Well, that's what they're saying. They're like, there's these keys that every country in the world is after because they know that it is somehow related to this AI that also every country in the world knows exists. Mm -hmm. But nobody actually knows what the keys are for, but they're just trusting that it is extremely crucial to I think controlling the AI. And so how did that piece of information get out like if you don't know what I think it's I can for make the leap of how judgment. do you know the significance of it i think i can make the leap of judgment from like like if every country has intense amounts of surveillance and counter surveillance and spies and whatnot that if one country finds out that there are keys on the necks of these dead russians from a submarine that clearly exploded and one country knows that these keys are important i think every country at some point will know that these keys are important also, yeah. Ryan, you missed the first five minutes, so you missed you also, the whole yeah. sequence. With Mr. The had to go pee. And whatnot. Uh, yeah. I did. They didn't play <laughs> enough trailers. I don't know what happened there. Um, so, either way, though, it still is. It doesn't make sense how, so again, if that I'm was gonna, a... I'll do my best. Ahead, but the, the U.S. government puts this AI entity into the Russian sub because in their mind, it'll help them track them because this sub is supposed to have like top tier cloaking devices. No other sub can detect it. They're in the first five minutes. They're like, we've just done this tour around all these major powers, like kind of getting really close and nobody has said anything. So clearly our, our cloaking devices is working. The US implants this into their system so that they can know where they are. And then they find out, oh, we know where this thing is. It hasn't moved for a while. And also now it's spring and all of these bodies are floating to the surface. Like, and now all these, these two of these Russians have these keys. We don't know what they do because we don't necessarily know exactly where the source code is located in the thing or how they get to it. But we know that our, our thing was on it and it has gone through and absorbed all these other things from different international intelligence agencies and has now become sentient yeah still not uh you, you find a bunch of dead that. russians in the ice ryan that's not going to go unnoticed by the the international intelligence community they're gonna they're gonna be like what are those dead russians doing there how did they end up there why did two well, yeah but i don't understand how they get from that to the keys also was it the russians that had the keys or the american sub that the russians was, had the keys there was no american sub the Russian sub, the the entity made what up American sub the, made up the American sub. Gotcha. Okay. Were they not speaking not... English? <laughs> they were not... speaking. They, they started Russian, speaking just Russian. Russian. They do a hunt for Red October thing where they start speaking Russian with English subtitles, and then oh, I you hear them transition. speaking Russian and English, and then they switch to just speaking English and drop out the sub. Did you think that it was an American sub, but they had Russian accents? Is that what you thought, Ryan? I was confused as to whether there was a Russian sub or an American sub, and we were well, looking at like, the American sub trying to get them. Whole Kidman ad. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Um, so the uh, I still don't understand though how they would have understood. Also, it was who? So the Americans 
put the AI onto that sub in order to yes. discover where it was. Mm-hmm. And the CIA goes rogue and like makes it kill himself. Sure. Yes. But so then they then only would be the Americans or the Russians that would know that these keys would somehow relate to whatever like mainframe computers on that sub. But then again, how would think... it back it out to everyone else? And then how did that also connect the dots for them of like, oh, this must be the only way to get at that AI? Well, they if don't. If it's an AI entity, does it mean because they I... find the bodies, but the sub has sunken to the to the bottom? So somebody finds the bodies. Carrie Elwes has made sure that he's the only guy who knows where the sub that what the sub is, and that those keys are connected to that sub because he's the the head of all intelligence for the states. Mm-hmm. So somebody finds the keys. One of them makes its way to Ilsa. One of them makes its way somewhere else. And then we start the movie. Sure. Again, like who originally discovered those keys and how did they yeah. get into certain hands? That doesn't make sense. Also, the other thing of why wouldn't they have also just like immediately gone to recover that stuff? Like they knew where it was to take a... Uh, they didn't know where it was. Out of the book from. It was. It's untrackable. It's an untrackable sub. That's the entire point of it, Ryan, is that you cannot track the goddamn sub. How would they know where it is? Okay, imagine this. You yes. find bodies at the top yes. of a yes. body of water. Yes. You say they must have floated up. Yes. So the sub must be somewhere yes. below where they floated so, up. So, Ryan, so we know Ryan, where the sub is. Ryan, I'll take a page out this. of James Cameron's book with the submersible imagine this. situation. Ryan, imagine this. You imagine know this. where they were when the radar went off. So therefore, you know where the debris is going to be. You know Ryan, where these bodies this. are. You know Imagine where this. the sub is going to be. This. They're trapped under ice for God knows how many months. The ice finally melts. Those bodies have shifted far away from where that submarine was. They are they are landing on shore somewhere. Where the fuck are you going to find a sub in the ocean if you're just finding bodies in the shore? Yeah, because they say it's months later. They say it's not until the spring. Months later, Ryan. Where the fuck are you going to find that sub? An untrackable goddamn sub, Ryan. You could probably track the currents, number one. Also, if they're, how much is there a water track flow the when currents? they're under you the thing? track the currents for months, Ryan. Yes. What? I am willing to acknowledge that they could find the bodies without finding the sub for the sake of the movie existing. You I mean, I agree. Here. That's what I'm saying, though, is we're taking big leaps to be like, okay, we're just sure. I don't think it's that big of a leap. I feel like I it's a pretty big leap. I, think I don't think it's that big of a leap to, into... to have difficulty finding an untrackable sub that was untrackable. It was, it's not like the radar went off. It has been untrackable the entire time it's been in the ocean. <laughs> Nobody knows where the fuck it has been. Right, because it is completely unmerciful to find it. <laughs> and would it be our fault if that submersible <laughs> were to crash? I'm just saying that if there are bodies that you find, you would know that at least at minimum it is within that area. So you narrow it down from anywhere in the freaking world to I that think, particular I body think of months water. Once trapped under ice with currents going under that ice, will move those bodies around enough to where you will not be able to track where that submarine was. I also think they're bottom of their heads. So I also don't know how much of the underwater flow of those currents, how much that would drift them away from it. Over I, months of time, at least, you know, a decent amount, I would argue. I think it's implied that I don't think they would who... stay right under where it was. And even then, once the ice melted, it's not like they're being found immediately once the ice melts. They're being shifted away and found eventually is the argument that they're making. It's the leap you have to make. And it's a logical leap that you can't make. 
You're being too nitpicky, Ryan. Also, the people no. who found the sub, I think, are implied to have been eliminated by head CIA guy who wants yeah. to be the only one who knows where it is. I think that is purposely left down there so only he can access it. Access it. Mm -hmm. So people have found the keys, know that they're somehow important, and then those same people that spread those keys somewhere else, and then also the knowledge of, hey, this is important and related to an AI entity, which also, how did that information get out to of like, this is related to an AI entity if only the people that were on that sub were supposed to know, or only the Americans that planted the AI into that sub were supposed to know. Again, how did the connection between- But other people don't know that it's an AI entity. The Americans do and Gabriel does. Who the fuck else would know? No, everyone, the know whole point is everyone else knows there's this so, major so right, AI right. entity. The and problem is everybody, everybody in this movie has bits of information, but nobody has the whole picture except for Gabriel. And so we don't get the whole picture. People we know that it's an AI, though. We know it's an AI. He, they literally have a whole 10-minute monologue of each one of yes, the because major... because the Americans made the goddamn AI. Yes, and they're saying everyone else knows that this is the case. They're going after these keys, not just because they're like, oh, there's some random keys that we can maybe access, like the black box on the sub. No, they're saying this is related to a major AI... Because the AI went into foreign computers. They said this, Ryan. They said the AI went into foreign intelligence computers and left enough breadcrumbs to be noticed so that yeah. they know that something got in. It went in and looked around and it didn't yes. take anything. It's like and, a then show left, power. and then left breadcrumbs to, to be noticed intentionally yeah. so that the other intelligence would be aware like, that there's oh, an AI entity. Well, yeah, that, they were saying that in relation to, like, again, them going into Bing accounts and things like that, like security systems. So that's how people can spot it, sure. But then again, the connection between the keys and this AI and the keys being the way to go and control the AI. That's just what I'm saying. Like there's missing pieces of information here that wouldn't make sense for why everyone would be going after this particular MacGuffin in the way that they do. But again, it's fine. It's I'm just pointing out it is stupid, but that's not the main point of the film. You're just supposed to be like, okay, whatever. But that's what I'm saying is that part is kind of dumb. And then that does lead to actual problems later on with like, Gabriel's motivations of if he's supposed to be one of the only people that know where this is and what the power is for and like why the keys are going to be used and where it needs to be used and the AI is trying to prevent people from destroying it why isn't Gabriel just destroying the keys immediately like if they don't need if the AI itself doesn't need its own source code in order to function in any way and they even say later on they're like oh he killed Ilsa so that you would kill him and so that the AI is able to like have a failsafe of if you do that then the knowledge of where the keys go towards dies with Gabriel okay why isn't Gabriel just killed off by the AI anyway if he's the only person that knows how also because did Gabriel know that's a part two thing that we're going to need to know because he's the only person who can take out Ethan Hunt well that's what we're saying but his mission doesn't even seem to take out Ethan Hunt because he has him there. He could kill him, but he says, actually, I'm going to make you try and choose which of your two women you want to kill. So it's not actually trying to kill Ethan Hunt. And then again, if he has the keys at any moment, why not just destroy either one or both of those halves of the keys so that nobody can get to the source code? Because it's fun. We're having fun. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. So I'm just pointing out, like, there are major flaws with this. It's not well thought out. It's stupid. But you can be like whatever because it's fun and you're here for the set pieces but that's just what i'm saying like in terms of having like very well-defined and realistic and pragmatic grounded stakes 
This does not do that. You should not watch any Mission Impossible movies if you're looking for realistic, grounded stakes. <laughs> I'm just saying this is not that. And I agree. Uh-huh. Like you're here There's for this pieces. But let's just point out. Movie. I just think I don't think, that, I don't think that this has, I don't think that this has this series has ever been that. Going I think back, Fallout was like that. I think Fallout I think it's been things. more like that in other places, which is why this is not like up there in mm-hmm. contention for my favorite. Is because it does rely on such like absurdity. Like we've had those crazy plots before, and many of the other ones, sure. But there have been other times where they try and make it more like grounded, like Ghost World with the whole thing with the nuke. Like that much is much more straightforward and understandable and logical compared to this, which I think does require many leaps. There's a nuclear guy who wants to get codes, so he disguises himself as one of his own henchmen. Well, that whole thing. (laughs) It's another instance. Khalifa makes no sense. Did not need to happen, but they did it because they're like, this would be cool. So I'm like, okay, whatever. But yeah, you can accept as well. Like the Burj Khalifa heist was not required. (laughs) They just did that for the set piece. but again, that's why I'm saying, yeah, this one, which did have a compelling thing, like AI, it's obviously very topical. Mm-hmm. So had they leaned into that and tried to take, uh, I don't know, somewhat more like serious approach to the threat that we're facing and having Ethan yet again go up against um, like something that's trying to push him out as he's getting older mm-hmm. and like this new force and technology is coming in to replace him and he has to overcome that i think that's a very interesting angle to go with but again they go the route of just like we'll do enough we'll have an ai entity out there we'll have them like show up at the rave in venice like being the eyeball looking over the party and that's cool. enough for this film and i'm, I'm okay with that because again the set pieces are where it's at but it's not going to be like an all timer action film because the components that aren't action, I don't think are as heightened as they could be. But that's okay. I don't know. I've said it before, and I will say it again. Of I think it's crazy that this movie is like many years in the making. Like they've been working on it for a while. And I feel like only like very recently have like new AI developments become like like a center like issue in the world right now. Like literally, I think yesterday there was like another White House meeting with all of the big AI companies. Yeah, to be like, hey, please put restrictions on your AI and what they can collect and what they can do and and stuff like that. And I think like just very recently that has become like more of a pressing issue for your average person, like something that they're thinking of more often. And it's crazy to me how, like, the idea of him, like, taking Benji's voice and, like, giving him misdirections mm-hmm. and things like that. And those are, like, things that are, we can do that now. That is definitely a thing that happens. And I, it's crazy how much I feel like this is, like, on the pulse of of our fears about AI. And and there are definitely other movies that that do it and are, like, oh, what if AI bad, you know? But <laughs> I think this one this one definitely feels interesting for the time that it's in right now. And especially for it for them to have to have known that for the last couple years to have mm-hmm. been like building up to this, I think is really interesting. I, I hope think- in Dead Reckoning Part Two we learn more about the entities like goals. Like what is their yeah. like, obviously their main goal in this movie is to not die. 
mm-hmm. but I want to know what their more like long-term goals are. Are they like trying to conquer the world? Are they trying to destroy the world? Yeah. And the same thing with Gabriel. And that's what I'm saying. Like if part two doesn't delve more into the like eight seconds worth of flashbacks that we saw <laughs> oh, of, yeah. of Ethan and Gabriel and was it Marie or Maria? Maria. Maria. Yeah. Like, then that's going to be like a, oh, why did we have this in this movie? This is a very flimsy way. So I think that's kind of why, to Lynn's point earlier, why this is a part one. This makes me feel better as labeling it part <laughs> one of knowing like, okay, they can go, they can, they can save this. They can save these, these things that don't work quite as well here. That's fair. I see that of like, I can push that. I can push that onto the next yeah, one. Too. Yeah, yeah say like oh they will explain it in the next one and not this mm-hmm. one i don't have to have it in this one yeah That's yeah fair. what were you guys's thoughts overall of gabriel and particularly those flashbacks we get uh the more the second time i saw it i liked gabriel more i feel like it's i just don't know enough about him as a character and i don't see him enough as a character to like really weigh in too much i think he's a really good actor and i think he has moments but I'm not really particularly like scared of him. I like want to see him do more scary things, like be more intimidating. I guess mm-hmm. it's crazy to me that he like he was like, "I'm going to kill one of the girls. It is your choice. Who like f- figure out who it is?" And he like shows up to the bridge with zero weapons. He just takes yeah. their weapons and yeah. those are weapons that he left. That's them. crazy. Yeah, they have they have his knives and. Uh, uh Paris's sword. sword yeah. Yeah, yeah they aren't even their weapons they left them the weapons yeah that's insane to me and that that like that power move is where I was like oh what the fuck or heck mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um you know besides him killing Ilsa where yeah I'm that talking. whole that whole bridge sequence is is crazy oh yeah mm-hmm. R.I.P. Ilsa uh I love Paris so much. That was my that was that was a real gut punch. And I will say, now that we're fully in spoilers and we can talk about that, that's one of the things that I hated about the trailer. For like, if you notice between the trailer and I noticed it the second time that I watched the opening credit sequence, both of them at some points have had the shot where Haley Atwell and Tom Cruise are in the train and they do the like zero G thing. In the mm-hmm. opening credits, you don't see Haley Atwell in the train. They cut her out of that shot. But in the trailers, you see her. So I remembered that shot and I was like, well, oh, Rebecca Ferguson got up. She pulled the sword. I was like, we've seen her with the sword. We've seen her with the eye patch. I know Haley Atwell is going to be on that train. This isn't looking good. (laughs) Oh, that's crazy. I didn't think of that. That's smart of them to cut her out of the the little intro song. Trailers suck, bro. Spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. Only the Marvel ones are good at like managing their trailers to not give away. Even even that's getting bad. Like even now they're starting to spoil. But yeah, even like they're the best in terms of like trying not to spoil the movie. Mm-hmm. But even that's not doing great. Yeah. I have a terrible memory, so trailers are fine. <laughs> <laughs> like in the last trailer for Killers of the Flower Moon, they spoiled the movie. Spoiled the goddamn movie. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. Tragic. The um yeah, this whole bridge thing was another one of my major complaints. I just don't understand. It was the same. I mean, yeah, it looked fine, but Ilsa's death, I mean, that really rubbed me the wrong way. And it's partially because, yeah, we don't know enough of Gabriel. So I don't know. Like, I wish we knew what more. Is his yeah. I, wish, I wish they delved a little more into his backstory to yeah. give him more menace. As that, being like, 
because he's supposed to be like the end all be all villain of Ethan Hunt's entire life. Mm-hmm, like exactly. he's the ghost that's been haunting Ethan Hunt. And I'm like, I'm getting that impression, but I don't understand why. Yeah, it's what they're trying to tell us, but we don't really feel it. Because again, those yeah. flashbacks, I think, like, and we're odd. The first time I had seen, it, I was like, oh, I don't. Is this something I had missed from the previous movies? And they're doing a callback, <laughs> but no, these are like entirely new inventions of Ethan. When I saw it, I thought they were setting up to explore it more later in the movie, and then they yeah. just never explored it. And I'm like, I guess they're going to do that in the second movie, but it right. would be better if they did that in this movie. But so they do that to establish like a personal history between Gabriel and Ethan. But I feel like that wasn't needed at all if he's already going to just kill Ilsa in this one. And it's clear that like Ethan and Ilsa have something going on now. So like you already have him kill a woman he loves. Why do we need to backtrack 30 years and have him do it the first time? But then we never hear of that incident. I think it would make sense if we knew the full story. That's the problem. They don't tell us the whole story. Maybe. But I'm just saying like if you needed a villain with like personal stakes that Ethan can have a vendetta against. You did it here by killing off Ilsa, a character we actually know and like. Sure. And now she's dead. And now it's like, okay, we don't need the flashback to someone we don't know with stuff that we don't really care about. Focus on I the would... one that you have here. But then also yeah. the decision to like kill one of them off. And he's like, you have to choose which one is dying. And then somehow Grace ends up on that bridge despite the AI not really guiding her in some way. Ilsa gets told to go there, but also... Why is she going there? Why would she have assumed Grace ended up on that bridge wherever Gabriel's waiting? That part was like iffy. But then again, the fight as well. Like we know Ilsa is amazing, can hold her own. We know her training. We know her background. We've seen what she can do. We haven't seen that for Gabriel. And I guess this can be the part of like, oh, this is establishing that he's good. Is that he can take down each of them back to back and then kill Ilsa. But I just didn't buy. I just didn't believe that this guy, like that there hasn't been enough menace established for him that he'd be able to pull this off and kill Ilsa like that. I don't know. I feel like it's just, it's like a disrespect to the character of Ilsa. And then especially to do it after you already did a fake death of her earlier in the film too. It's like, what are you doing? Half the, like she's in this for 20 minutes, 10 minutes is her like dying or dead. And Ethan discovering that it's like, what are we doing with that? Yeah. I can agree that I think using that as a way to set up how menacing Gabriel is, doesn't work quite as well as it should. But I think the, the, the reason why they have the flashback with Marie and everything is not only to establish his connection with Ethan, but they are trying to draw a line through the series of all of the women that Ethan Hunt has cared about. Something bad eventually happens to them, whether it's even just them like thinking Michelle Monaghan is dead, even if she's not actually and she's off living her best nurse life or any of her any of his other potential romantic interests. Tandy Newton gets the chimera virus. <laughs> it's like almost dies in Australia. And uh, uh, I almost said John Lithgow. Uh, what's his name from the, John Voight's wife in the first movie ends up being evil. Like and he's shot by a, John Voight for no bad, reason. Yeah. He, 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 <laughs> right. he has a bad track record. And that's a, True. that is a compelling argument. If you're Gabriel to bring to grace and be like, Hey, it's not looking good for you. Like, historically speaking so why don't you just give me the key that's true the issue is that's already in the text so prominently why do you need to invent a new thing of saying like look at this it has such a bad track record it's like from the first movie we saw that mm-hmm. and then every movie since then like it's already in each of the films you don't need to create this entirely new it's an incident where that happened um so, so you i don't know that part was another no i love rebecca ferguson i love ilsa 
I I don't see overall the point of it. And again, it's like diminished by if you try to establish a personal connection and a personal vendetta, you did that with the flashback anyway. So you didn't mm-hmm. you didn't need to kill Ilsa. I don't think there's anything wrong with how they ended up on the bridge. I think it establishes higher stakes in terms of like the team is legitimately in danger. We haven't seen a team member like die in quite many movies. I think it like raises the stakes intentionally. It makes uh, it does add a little bit of menace to his character. But I wish they had done more earlier in the movie anyway. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman starting that movie with him, with that scene of him just like screaming at Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. That's the way to do it. Like, that's how you do it. Like, if they had started with the flashback scene and, like, shown him being menacing in that flashback scene, that would have been the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. But I still think it does add menace to his character that he was able to overpower both of them and then win, ultimately. I just wish they had set it up better. And I don't have any issue with Ilsa dying in the movie. I mean, it's fine. I love, 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 love Rebecca Ferguson and Ilsa, like, almost more than I love Tom Cruise in all of these, which is a lot. Um, but I, I did feel like her death was meaningful, especially in order to like have Haley Atwell have that feeling of like, you know, she died for me and it's like, no, she, You're she alive, allowed you to live. Yeah. She, she, you are the reason she is the reason you are alive. And mm-hmm. I think that like, because you see Haley Atwell's character again and again, like have Tom Cruise save her and she runs away and does not care. And Tom Cruise saves her as she runs away, does not care, like is only out for herself. I think you needed to have something like so dramatic like that in order to change her mindset and to be like, oh, these people care about me. Like Mm -hmm. I am part of something bigger than myself and I could like do more and be more than just somebody who runs away, like only out for myself. And I think that was meaningful to me. And I loved Ilsa. But that, like, I understood that she was like, oh, this, this this younger, newer girl will now be allowed to Yes, now flourish. that Tom Cruise has a younger girl. <laughs> <laughs> the older one can now die. Rest in peace. <laughs> All right, maybe that was not the way to phrase that. But, you know, it's like, it's like letting, letting somebody else grow. And as much as, as I loved her, I... Like, I respected that. It also mm-hmm. goes into the thing from the beginning of the movie where Tom Cruise says the oath, and it's like uh, to swear to protect and die for those that we don't even know, something mm-hmm. like that. The idea of, like, we are here to to save the day, to do the impossible, and to potentially die for people we will never meet, complete strangers, because that's what's right. And so mm-hmm. Ilsa does not know Haley Atwell, doesn't know her at all. But she is choosing to die for her and for the keys to save everybody because that's what's right. Because she is part of that Mission Impossible force. I She's not sure. actually technically part of the IMF. He said, I mean, sure. He said, I mean, but, sure. But, but. <laughs> yeah, also not part of the IMF. Um, and again, yeah, I, it's just they needed to set it up better if they're going to do that. I agree. Give her agree. more to do before that point as well. Because again, she leaves and then she comes back for like Tom Cruise and then she's there for one boat ride and one party scene and then we're already but can we talk about when, that she, she's gonna when die. she comes back when she's sitting in the front seat of the truck and she does the tom cruise eyebrow thing mm-hmm. i love that i loved it it's my first time in venice <laughs> mine too <laughs> it definitely happens at the, at the expense of her character but i think Haley atwell grace's character arc is the most impressive thing to me about this movie 
just about because it happens so like completely while also having you know Ethan still be the lead of the movie she kind of makes it a double header but I think just like you said that's a crucial moment because she's not a spy she's just a really good thief she's the closest thing to like just being a person that we've had in this series since like Benji was introduced and now this is the moment she's like kind of skirted her way out of everything and that is the first moment where shit really gets real for her and she has to face okay like and she's still in denial after that being like no no no, just give me some money give me a face fake passport i'm gonna be out here and they're like no like you don't come back from this your life is forever different now and i thought that was that was really well handled Mm -hmm. yeah i think the character of grace is fantastic in this like I, i was amazed at how well done she was and then the performance from Haley Atwell like I was fully locked in so like I love her I love that character I'm just sad that they had to make it yeah. one or the other for this um but yeah I thought she only was have one fantastic. lady apparently <laughs> she yeah. got a pick so I do think she was fantastic um yeah just the things that they do as well to make her like she's a thief and she's been on the run for all this time. And so she's competent in that sense. But they do show her being placed in these like crazy, like possibly world ending circumstances. And so, of course, it's like scary and difficult. And she wants to do what she normally does and like run away and self-preserve. Um, but then she has to, you know, continually get roped into it. So I thought the way they handled that was great. Um, and then things like when Tom Cruise says the thing of, Hey, I will always put your life over my own. And she reacts to that. I was like, dang, that was like a genuinely mm-hmm. good moment right there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really do like the direction they took that character. Let's talk about some of the action scenes in this one, which I do like how just in terms of pure action sense, they were great. But then we also get some character things as well, like in the Rome car chase. <laughs> and we had Tom Cruise and her being handcuffed together and her being unable to drive. <laughs> so she's like, you take over. Like all of that was fantastic. The shot where they tumble down the steps and somehow switch places in the car <laughs> is just like the most Looney Tunes moment it's in this fantastic. whole series. And it was so funny. It's great because <laughs> when they're tumbling, you can oh, see wow. them briefly yeah. switch over just for a second, mm-hmm. but you don't recognize it until the car lands and they're in the other seats completely. Uh-huh. And you're like, wow. <laughs> yeah. That was so fun. The car chase was so fun. Yep. Loved every minute. Yeah, that was great. I also thought the the airport sequence way oh, before that, like just like yeah. the cat and mouse chase, like pure espionage stuff. That was also fantastic. We get to see. That and that's kind of what I was talking about early, like last episode about them being so effectively able to layer stakes on top of each other because you come in and it's like, okay, we're looking for this key. Oh shit, this key just got stolen. And also there are these people who are trying to find Ethan. And also there's a bomb maybe. (laughs) And all of those things are so masterfully like cross cut between each other and just flow so well. I like how aggravated Tom Cruise, like you can see that whole sequence, like it's going really, really well. And then you can feel it fall apart. Like Tom Cruise gets really, really angry when he finds out that there's a bomb and they didn't tell him about it. You got and 15 seconds. I know that was crazy. <laughs> How much time? 20 seconds. What? <laughs> 20 seconds. Like, yeah, that, that whole bit was, was great. Um, yeah, we get that first encounter of grace 
during that whole thing. We get Shay Wiggum's like CIA operative, him mm-hmm. and his partner coming after Tom Cruise. He was great throughout the whole thing too. Like that was so just fantastic. Good. <laughs> Both of them together. They're kind of like a mini version of almost like Tom Cruise and Henry Cavill in the last one. Like when uh, Angela Bassett is like, you you prefer a scalpel. I prefer a hammer. And like Shea Wiggum is the hammer and <laughs> Tarzan is trying to be so just like talking to people in French. You're like, all right, you could all move out of the train car. And he just Pulls fires gun. gun in the air. <laughs> Such a good pairing. Mm-hmm. We also get the return of Tom Cruise's magic, his sleight of hand stuff. Yes. That's one of my favorite tricks. One of the many callbacks to uh, the first film. Mm-hmm. We also get Kittredge returning. Mm-hmm. So that that whole like opening right. combo was great. The return of the Dutch angles too. Mm-hmm. Um so all of that mm-hmm. very fun. I want more I want more stuff from the previous movies to come back. I'm gonna bring more things back. Yeah. I want the the two characters, Maggie Q and Jonathan uh Rice. Rice yeah. Yeah, Rice Davies to come back from the third movie. That'd be so yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe Jeremy Renner, I don't know. I don't really care. <laughs> Such an odd period of time. Yeah. It was good. Um, yeah. Both times in the, the Jeremy airport Renner sequence, songs. <laughs> when Benji like opens the door and there are all of these bags on the conveyor belt, both times I go, guys, Toy Story 2. <laughs> <laughs> It was just so, mm-hmm. it's such a like a moment. And I love Toy Story 2. That is my favorite movie, mm-hmm. like my favorite one of the Toy Stories. And it's like, that's my favorite scene from Toy Story 2 is when they're in the bag. And I was like, is that real? Is that is that how the airports work? It's cool. I love it. I love moving bags. Mm-hmm. And there's a single shot where, because I think uh, obviously like the action in this is in this whole movie is incredible. But I think one of the, underrated elements of this and really just the last like all of the McHugh movies is the visual comedy where Shea Wiggum and his partner are looking around the airport and then just in the background you just see Ethan sprinting across the rooftop yeah, so <laughs> made me laugh so hard <laughs> he's gotta be here somewhere <laughs> yeah very like like Pink Panther music playing in the background. yeah uh-huh and there's another one when he's when we get to the eventual the bike jump stunt where he pulls up to the cliff's edge and he's like, okay, I gotta get higher. What do I do? And the camera just very slowly moves that cliff into mm-hmm. frame. Is so well timed. Agree. Strongly agree. So let's uh, let's talk about that whole ending sequence where we get that cliff stunt and then all the train shenanigans. Bro, Ryan. Trains. <laughs> they put trains in the movie. You know I love trains. Big fan. Where did this, uh, I mean, this was a pretty incredible train sequence. It was pretty great. It's mm-hmm. got to be up there mm-hmm. with some of your favorites. It felt like I was like, it's crazy because I saw the Uncharted movie and I did not think it was very good. And I played Uncharted 2 and there is a sequence in Uncharted 2 where a train like explodes and mm-hmm. it's it dangling off a cliff like how they were in that movie. And watching this movie, I was like, okay, so you could have just done that. You could you could actually <laughs> you could actually commit something like that to film and make it look good. And they just chose not to in the Uncharted movie. Because <laughs> they they did what I because I mean you play the game and you're like, there's no way they could film this. Like it's it's so crazy and like high wire and intense. And then I watched this movie and they like shot for shot, like it's it's the same and it's perfect. Yeah. It's like so well done. 
And that was one of the most interesting sequences to watch back was to act like pay more attention to them when they're on the train before it crashes and watch mm-hmm. them walk through those like seven or eight train cars that they go through. And like, yeah. oh yeah, there is. And they, they set every little thing up and you don't even notice it the first time. <laughs> yeah, it's mm-hmm. Like when they're going through the kitchen and you're like, oh shit, it's the kitchen. Yeah. And then it's the other room. And then it's the, it's the piano. Yeah. Oh my yeah. Oh God, I thought that was very fun also on yeah. Him trying to like make her let go of him so he can jump across. Yeah, that was great. That whole bit. Um, but yeah, just an excellent like construction of it to have mm-hmm. them go through each train car and each train car has its own dangers associated with it yeah. that they have to try and overcome until they get safely to a train car that isn't dangling off. Yeah. Yeah. Just and kept going, just man. Oh, yeah. yeah. It just kept going. Every train car was just one. I was like, at some point, I was like, is the whole train just going to one by one drop off the cars? I wanted that so much. It would have been cool. It's just I mean, an extra 45 minutes long of them going through train cars. It would have been pretty funny yeah. if they got to the final train car where everyone else is at, where they corralled everyone else and it's just uh-huh. them showing up. And it's and like, the last this one is the one that call. gets safe. Yeah. 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 It reminded just, it actually it reminded me a lot of the the steps sequence from John Wick four earlier this mm-hmm, year, where he's, yeah. and which was like as impressive as it was, felt almost a little monotonous to me by the end, where he goes all the way up and then comes all the way down and then goes all the way up. Like this just felt like a more visually inventive and to me a more fun way to get that same kind of feeling of like, oh mm-hmm. God, when are they gonna get to the end of this? But in a in a like hopeful way of like i hope they get out of this mm-hmm. yeah and it was yeah. exciting the whole however weekend. i would argue that nothing hurt more than watching john wick four oh god him struggle oh, for 20 minutes and get all the way to the top of those stairs and someone just kicks him in the face and he falls all the goddamn way back <laughs> that was a hilarious that bit that's true and he <laughs> doesn't stop falling he was falling. funny bro that was that was that hurt like i was yeah. like god it's pretty funny it's pretty good. not funny yeah <laughs> it hurts man like that that whole movie's a little cartoonish and over the top, but that that fucking hurt. <laughs> but yeah, I was worried to your point about like, oh, it being monotonous. I was wondering if they're gonna just be on top of the train, like running yeah. up it each time. But mm-hmm. I love the decision to make them start going through the train cars themselves so that yeah. they could distinguish each one and give them their mm-hmm. own like problems to overcome within each one. So again, just really smart construction, the way that they approach conceptualize and then film these action scenes is just mm-hmm. unparalleled yeah so, and speaking of train shenanigans we haven't even talked about we've made it this far and haven't even mentioned vanessa kirby as the white widow really? giving i think my favorite mask performance in the entire series i nah, think i think philip seymour hoffman still takes i think the i think over philip seymour hoffman i mean there's nothing um, quite like seeing him like him do the call on a jump through the like climb over the scaffolding in the church but like yeah, come on. She, this is this is the more i think it's a more nuanced performance like even just down to the the bit where yeah, it feels watching her it does feel like i'm watching Haley atwell which is very impressive yeah. but you yeah. can't beat philip seymour hoffman coughing for 30 <laughs> seconds that's, yeah, that's <laughs> it's so funny yeah. it's so funny yeah i do agree that vanessa kirby that whole moment like that was great again the way that they were able to tie those emotional stakes together with grace's character i thought that was really well done mm-hmm. um and then giving her that sort of dilemma of once again is she gonna take the money and run off if she has the chance um, but she decides against that 
that whole thing is great. And then when <laughs> when she's on the run, and then Tom Cruise finally crashes through into the train car. <laughs> That made me laugh so hard. That's such a, yeah, that's a really good bit. Uh, so funny. And like Tom Cruise has no idea what's going on. He's like looking around all confused. And then he gets pulled out again and still doesn't know what's going on. That was so funny. Did you guys like the, the cliff jump? Yeah. I loved it. It was really believe, well shot. I thought it was I really well done. Lines. I couldn't believe he was saying his yeah. like. I, and not just screaming. Like, I'm I mean, not surprised. When they did the, the halo jump in Fallout, he was like doing choreography in the air. Like he was moving around and he had to like grab the true, guy. But you, have, but you have a lot more time there. You do have more I mean, time, it's it's yeah. a tall cliff, but like. It's not that tall. Yeah. Yeah. It was very impressive. The thing I didn't like about it was we do all that stuff and it looks really good. And even the line he gives while he's free diving is really good. And then he does the parachute bit and he's on the parachute swinging around and he has lines. And I just. I can tell he's not actually looking at a goddamn train. I can tell yeah. he's just like actually just like trying not to hit anything, and he, yeah. but he's still delivering the lines. I yeah. wish they had just like CGI that part, like put him in like a wind tunnel or something, and yeah. then so he could like have a, a focal point to look at and like yeah. look at like where a train would be, just to make it. It just didn't match very well. Yeah, I can see that. Other than that, I thought it was incredibly well done. Oh yeah, I think that's crazy. That that's. I mean, I get that. That is the most like just from a pure safety perspective, I think the most impressive stunt that they did, but I think it's interesting that that's the, the sequence that they decided to hype up the most because it only lasts for like 30 seconds. Yeah. Him. I'm glad though, because in Rogue Nation, the thing that they hyped up a lot was him dangling off the side of the plane and then they just yeah. did that right away. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, what else am I looking forward to in this movie? I was yeah, looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah. But in, in like Fallout, the Halo jump was like halfway through the story, so I could like build anticipation to it. And in this one, it was like the big finale stunt, mm-hmm. and it was like, it was epic. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was cool. I would say, though, you already saw it from like the trailers. Like they yeah. dedicated a whole trailer to just like behind the scenes and then the clip of him going off of it. So we've seen it so much before. So I think that did kind of diminish the impact. And then also when they were, they got to the point where the mask broke and they're like, we got to find a way to get on that train. It's like, okay, so here's a big stunt. Here's how they're going to do it. So yeah. it's like, we already knew why they're doing it, how they're going to do it, how they pull it off. So I do wish that they would have made it less the like cornerstone of their marketing thing. Cause it's I always like, Oh, Tom Cruise doing a big stunt. Jump. I wish they showed him exactly. driving up and like the build up to him doing the jump, but then not actually completing it so that we wait and don't see that until the movie. Exactly. Yeah. Cause otherwise it's like, well, we know he, cause with the halo he, jump, like they teased it a lot too. And then they, they showed him like jumping out of the plane, but they didn't do a lot of like, yeah, you didn't see like a lot of the choreography or any of his lines or anything. That was like a whole scene going on yeah. in the air. So yeah. like that had a lot more to it that I thought was cool. And also all of the, the theatricality of like the, the hangar opening and like the wind blowing and all that stuff. There's like more, there's more tension to it. This was just like the tension that I see of him driving up to the cliff is the same tension I saw in the behind the scenes of him driving up to the cliff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is the one I think, though, that it does a better job, this movie of I at least or maybe it's just because I've been watching these movies over and over again. I, for the most part in this movie, was thinking oh, this is Ethan Hunt doing this. And then for that one ton, it's, oh, this is Tom Cruise driving off a cliff. And I feel like for some of the other ones, it was like, oh yeah, this is Tom Cruise jumping out of a plane. And this is Tom mm-hmm. Cruise flying a helicopter, which are very impressive. But for more like the more story focused stuff, I didn't get as into that as I did. Mm-hmm. 
I felt more like emotionally attached to the to the characters and the stakes in this yeah. movie. I wonder what his big stun's gonna be in part two. How's he so, gonna top it? So he's gonna he's gonna hold his under his breath underwater for double the amount of time that he did. <laughs> yeah, he's going to swim straight down to the sub. Yeah, <laughs> in Arctic water. Without any pressure. Yeah. Three dives to oh, it. Oh my goodness, that's really funny. And you know they're gonna do it too. Oh, he probably yeah. is. He's definitely gonna, gonna try and break go the record. I wonder if he's gonna wait to do it because he wants to go to space. Wouldn't that be crazy? Dead reckoning. That'd be awesome. Space. He he might as well. He's making, he's making a different movie with with somebody who's somebody else that is going to be shot in space. So I don't think he. I think he wants to save that. I don't know. But speaking, I mean, of, that'd be quite a finale though for Mission Impossible. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's shot in space. Yeah, I feel like he should do it for Mission Impossible mm-hmm. and not that yeah. other film. Yeah. Ryan said, "Don't do it for there. Do it here. Do, do, <laughs> yeah, do it for on. me. Do it for me. Need that one. Yeah, it does." Do it for Mission Impossible, the big, big finale. Yeah. But he's got to do it soon because he's still trying to shoot Mission Impossible 8. So mm. that's on hold. And then however long it takes to get that other one into production. I mean, the man's going to get old enough to where they're like not going to clear him to go into space. Yeah. If he William also- Shatner can do it, if William Shatner can do it at 90 years old, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. All right. <laughs> he will go to space. All right. I have no worry. As long as he's not dead, he'll go to space. He also said that he and McHugh want to do a like Gene Kelly style musical, which That's I'm so so, I would be so fascinated to see <laughs> at this point, like given the time that like 67, 67 year old Tom Cruise <laughs> tap dancing and, <laughs> and singing so would just delight me to no end. It would. It really would. I can't imagine it, but it would be so funny. Mm. All right. Any other final thoughts about Dead Reckoning Part One? Give Eddie Hamilton an Oscar. He's the editor on this movie. He edited this. He edited uh, Fallout, and I think Rogue Nation and Top Gun Maverick. And he was so surely, so sorely shut out for for editing for Top Gun. I know that's atrocious. He should have. It needs a nomination for sure. Yeah, because this movie is so well paced. I mean, it is it is almost three hours, but Oppenheimer is three hours and that feels like a three hour movie. And in my opinion, has some pacing issues that this movie certainly does not have. This movie flies and just is, is such a delight. Mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, Love the trains. Love the trains blowing up as always. (laughs) Can't help myself. I think it's so, so cool. Yeah. Do we think Ethan Hunt's going to die in the next movie? (gasps) Stop. What a what no. a finale that would be. I don't think he should. I think it should just be open-ended. Ethan Hunt is still out there. The Impossible Mission Force is still out there, but the franchise is over. I don't, I don't yeah. think he should die. He walks off into the sunset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he should have his ending of like, he's still out there helping people. Aw. That w- okay, yeah. Yeah. I see that. Because if he does, if he does die, or even if he just like retires at the end, I could see a new IMF team with Haley Atwell and Paris and... Shea Wiggum's partner. Like, I think he's going to be a bigger part in the next movie because he's he's had some little moments of like, well, maybe I I like the IMF, actually. I'm like, yeah, buddy, come join the team. That'd be fun. Yeah. I think, like, it should be a finale where we could say goodbye to Ethan Hunt as a character, but he doesn't die. But then we go a while without a Mission Impossible movie because Tom Cruise isn't there. And then sometime in the future, somebody picks it up again and tries yep. again with the franchise, but does something new, introduces new characters that aren't Ethan Hunt or Benji or 
uh, Luther, and like we do something completely new with it. In 15 years, we bring in Alden Ehrenreich. And yes. He jumps off cliffs and does whatever he wants. <laughs> there you go. We finally bring back Jeremy Renner at the age of 85. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How many cruciform keys out of five? Kirk, we'll go to you first. I give it four and a half cruciform keys out of five. I think I think my my last half is is depending on on the execution of of part two. Gotcha, Lily. A fair reservation, but one that I do not have five stars. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan, four stars. Oh, wow, amazing. I'm also giving it a four stars for mm-hmm. Cruciform Keys. Out of That's me. crazy. Ryan said Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2 has plot holes and many issues, but still liked it more than Oppenheimer. <laughs> hey. Pop off about Oppenheimer. No spoilers. So, <laughs> yep, there we go. That is our discussion for Mission Impossible 7. Mm, I was going to say next year, but it doesn't look like it will be. Whenever Mission Impossible what? 8 Dead Reckoning Part 2 comes out. We will return and complete our franchise retrospective, talking about 4, 5, and 6. And then we will also hopefully gather the crew together to once again discuss Mission Impossible. The big finale. Big, big finale. But for now, that's all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at theboxofficeshowpod at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. If you like the show, please give us five stars on every podcast app you're listening to. Big shout out to Kirk Simpson for coming out and talking to us again two weeks in a row. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, guys. Another shout out to Lillian Snyder for coming on again so recently to talk about Mission (laughs) Impossible. Thank you for coming. Yeah. And be sure to tune in next week. Have a great rest of your day.